This is The God Show, a conversation about the human spirit, with your host, Pat McMahon. I'm going to tell you right now to surrender, to surrender to anything that comes up now conversationally, philosophically, in the next hour. This is Pat McMahon, and I hope you know that already. You certainly must know that it's the God Show, because otherwise, why would you have joined us? And us includes a former guest of ours, oh, three or four years ago. We had Coot Blackson on uh, in order to talk about, get ready for all of the decimal points now, you are the one. And if you weren't convinced of the fact that you are the one then, uh, then you should be prepared for the magic of surrender because that's the latest book by Coot Blackson, subtitled Coot, Finding the Courage to Let Go. Let go of what? Mm. Finding the courage to let go of fear, finding the courage to let go of what's no longer working in your life, finding the courage to let go of a relationship that might not be uh, aligned anymore, finding the courage to let go of a job that you know doesn't give you the deep fulfillment or is not fully the reason for why you were born, finding the courage to let go of what is not aligned. Because I think the next level of our life requires the next level of us, but the next level of life requires that we let go of what's not working so that we can make space for the new, the new opportunities, the new blessings, the new abundance, the new relationships. And many times we're holding on to an old relationship, as an example, uh, out of comfort, out of familiarity, out of fear. Meanwhile, we're praying to God, please, God, bring me my soulmate, but we're holding on to the old. It doesn't really work that way. Uh, we have to create, create a space and clear the space. And so finding the courage to let go, the reason I say is courage because it can be scary. When everything we maybe, when what we've built in our life, sometimes we become very successful doing what we've done in the past and we're good at it. And we keep doing it, not because we're enjoying it, not because we're evolving or growing, but just because we've done it that way and it works, but we stopped growing. And so sometimes even success can be a trap. And so it takes courage to let go of what you know. It takes courage to let go of who you've been. It takes courage to let go of the idea. And this is part of what surrender is, the idea of the life that you think you should be living, of who you think you should be, of what you think should be, so that we can really open to what life is seeking to express. So we can really open to the deepest authentic truth that is seeking to express itself through us. And so that takes courage. It can be scary because in that moment, uh, the letting go might sometimes feel like a deep dive into the unknown, uh, which is terrifying in moments, but also exhilarating. And, and on the other side of that is huge possibilities. Uh, but also letting go can sometimes feel like a death and a death of, an old identity, a death of an old structure. And so it takes courage to truly let go. But even reading the book, as I did, Coot, letting go seems really hard. <laughs> you know, let, <laughs> uh, letting go, on one level, it's hard. Sure, it's hard. But I, I really do think that compounded over time, 
living a limited life, living disconnected from your truth, living betraying yourself, living in a relationship that is toxic, abusive, or you're just not in love, living, you know, unhealthy, living, not expressing your gift, living, not being who you really are in the world. To me, that's hard. That's hard. And uh, typically, it's only a matter of time until the pain of that hits us. See, the first step is you talk about being hard. Yes, because it's hard, what we tend to do is, and I'll break it down into like five, six stages. What we tend to do first is we go into denial. We live in denial. We don't even know that we're lying. Oh, no, Pat, everything's fine. No, no, we, we're, just, we're just in denial. We've so buried the, the, the deeper truth that maybe something needs to shift. Then we may be, maybe folks listen to The God Show and they start, you know, hearing an interview like this and they start questioning, you know, I think something needs to change. Something's not quite working. I know that I was born for more, a bigger reason that the universe, something is seeking to express through me. I don't know what it is. So we begin questioning. Maybe this relationship's not quite what I want. Something's off. Something doesn't feel good. I don't feel fulfilled. So the questioning begins. Because it's hard, the next phase isn't just, boom, surrender, the next phase becomes resistance. We begin to resist. The ego begins to resist as a self-preservation mechanism to hold on to the comfort of what we know, of who we've been, of what we've done from the past. So the resistance kicks in as a way to keep ourselves safe. Beautiful intention, but we tend to stay stuck. And then we move into the next phase, which I call negotiation. In both of these two phases, one of the things we do that keeps us stuck is we begin to lie to ourselves. We don't tell the truth to ourselves. And so I would invite everyone, if you really want to shift, start asking yourself. If you really want to start making a shift into surrender, into letting go, just ask yourself, what lies am I telling myself? What am I pretending to not know? What is it costing me? And yes, I know it's hard. It can be scary. But be willing to feel. This might sound strange. Be willing to feel the pain of what being stuck feels like. Be willing to feel and be present to the pain of what not living truth feels like. The pain is a blessing. The pain is a gift. The pain is not bad. We tend to sex it away, drink it away, uh, social media it away, shop it away, distract ourselves from feeling the pain, but the pain is a messenger showing us where we're not living fully in alignment. And so if we can honor the pain and use the pain as a signal, then we can move through the phase out of resistance to negotiation. We start negotiating. That's another phase. Well, maybe, Pat, it's not that bad. Maybe I can make it work. Maybe I can keep eating my McDonald's and Big Mac and milkshakes and donuts and work out once a week and be healthy. Maybe I can stay in this relationship that I know is not working because they've got potential. It's been 15 years. They've got potential, but they're not shifting. And so we start negotiating with the universe, with life, with reality, which keeps us stuck, which keeps us holding on. Then we move to another stage where we realize that no matter how much we negotiate, no matter what we do, things aren't going to change. We're going to be what we are. Life's going to be what it is. Things will not, they, my husband, my wife, they won't shift. So we have to move into the next stage of acceptance, accepting reality, accepting what is. This is what it is. They are what they are. I am what I am. Life is what it is. This is how it is. Okay, acceptance. The challenge is acceptance is not surrender. Surrender, you see, is the open-hearted participation with life based on two things, 
you know, there's a deep knowing and belief in, 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 in surrender that makes it easier to let go when you understand that the universe is always working for your highest good. The universe is always going to bring you something better or more. So even when something leaves your life, a relationship ends, if we believe, if we have the belief that something better is coming our way, it makes it a bit easier to let go. But also in surrender, if we understand that we are a soul, we incarnate into this human experience to grow, learn, learn and evolve, that life is a university, then every experience of life, every situation, every relationship is a classroom for our soul's evolution, then even if a situation is difficult, the ability to surrender is to surrender to the lesson and evolutionary opportunity that that situation or relationship brings us. So surrendering to the lesson. So even if we don't win or if things end, so long as we've learned the lesson, then we've won. We've won. We evolve. We grow. And so from acceptance to surrender, is a, is there, there is another phase in the middle that most people miss. Because you can be in acceptance, but internally still be resisting. The resistance might, ma resistance might manifest as, okay, this is what it is, but it shouldn't be this way. The experience that I'm having is not the experience that I should be having. I should be having some other experience that I'm having right now. But to move from acceptance to surrender, there's a phase of grieving. And this is why I think you hit a very important point as to why it's hard. Grieving is the bridge from acceptance to surrender. Most of the time, we don't fully allow ourselves to grieve. In 2020, many dreams fell by the wayside. Things didn't turn out as we planned. A lot was lost. And so I think it's so important that we allow ourselves to grieve. Surrender is a death, death of the old. When we allow ourselves to grieve, we allow ourselves to feel and release and let go of the old, the old dreams, the old ideas, the old relationships, so that we can open to the new and fully embrace life and the new with possibilities rather than carrying the old pain, the old sadness, the old hurt from an old relationship, an old situation into the future. Grieving is key. Give yourself the space to grieve, not to wallow, to grieve, to release, to let go. We're sometimes afraid because we think if I grieve, it will last forever, but all feelings remain present until we feel them fully. Then we surrender. Then we move into flow. That's when the magic happens, Pat. That's when things happen that we could not even plan because we're clear, we're available, and we're open, and we're not carrying the energy and the baggage from the past. You understand grieving on a personal level yourself because the loss of your mother permeates the book that we're talking about today, mm -hmm. uh, The Magic of Surrender. Talk about your parents. Tell... Tell our audience on The God Show about the remarkable combination of those two <laughs> people that produced Coot. Well, um, yeah, my father's from Ghana, West Africa. My mother's from Japan. Uh, I, I grew up in London. They were, they, they were really unique. Uh, I'll tell you kind of in a, in, a, in, a, in a quick version how they met because they're honestly remarkable. So my father... Uh, born in a very, very, very poor countryside of Ghana in the 30s, 35 to 1935, 36, uh, on a cement floor. When he was eight years old, he would have these visions, Pat, of a Japanese spiritual teacher, a Japanese guru. This guy would come to him in his dreams in the middle of the night and teach him about life. When my father was 15, uh, he had a spiritual conversion, became a Christian, literally 
Saul into Paul conversion. The light hit him. He started healing people. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people started coming to him from age 15 to 35, 36. He built 300 churches in Ghana, became famous all throughout Africa, heads of state kings and what have you. So when he was 36, his first wife had passed away. He was in a bookstore. He was in a, not a bookstore, sorry. He was in a store in Ghana, West Africa. This is in the mid-70s. A book falls off the shelf in this store. He picks up the back of the book. He looks at the back of the book, and he sees the face of a Japanese, the Japanese guru who had been coming to him since he was age eight. Mm. He was shocked. He mm. couldn't believe this guy was even real, Pat. He's like, what? I didn't even know this guy was real. So he writes to him because there was no email back then, and says, you've been coming to me, teaching me in my dreams since I was a child, and expresses his appreciation and gratitude. The guru, the spiritual guru, his name was Masaharu Taniguchi, uh, had millions of followers in Japan, sends his son-in-law to meet my father in Japan. The son-in-law is so impressed with my father, invites my father to go to Japan on a lecture tour with the guru in a few months. My father says to the man, to the son. He says, look, I'm looking for a wife. My first wife has passed away. I'm looking for a wife. Please pray for me. That's it. The man says, no problem. The son goes back to Japan. He gives a talk in Tokyo and he says, hey, everyone, on these dates in the future, this miracle man named Reverend Prince John Blackson is going to go on a lecture tour with our guru. So mark your dates. My mother was in the audience. My mother grew up in the spiritual organization founded by this spiritual teacher. That's her spiritual teacher. And so she wasn't married at the time. You know, in Japan, if you're not married by 28 years old, life is finished. You're too old. Life is over for you. And so my mother's prayer, talk about surrender. And I think it runs in my blood, Pat, this whole theme of surrender. And so at 28, 29, she says a prayer. She says to God, God, I will marry anyone you tell me to marry. Anyone. I don't care if he's tall, if he's short, if he's rich, if he's poor. I don't care where he's from. Just please let it be clear that this is my soulmate, my true soul's destiny. Just give me that clarity. She's in the audience. She hears this Japanese man, the guru's son-in-law, talking about my father. She says she feels chills in her body. She knows beyond the shadow of a doubt this is her husband. Boom. She gets my father's address. She writes to my father. My father was in London. He's meditating and he gets a message in his meditation. Your wife will come to you tomorrow. He opens his mailbox. There's a letter that is rerouted from Ghana to London. It's from Japan. He has this feeling. This is my wife. Opens the letter. Nothing romantic. All my mother says is, I look forward to seeing you speak in, in Japan. Bear in mind, Pat, my mother speaks no English. My father speaks no Japanese. They can't communicate. No, they can't communicate. So my, my aunt, my mother's sister, is translating uh, my mother's, you know, uh, communication. My father has this feeling. This is my wife. He writes to my mother, letter number one. Would you be open to moving to Ghana? My mother writes back, I will move if it's God's will. My father, talk about surrender. My father writes back and says, it's God's will, please marry me. <laughs> my mother writes back in translation and says, yes. They agree to get married, haven't seen a picture of each other, can't speak the same language. <laughs> they don't even know of each other's crazy path. They're just following their deepest truth. That's true surrender. My father goes to Japan. 
meets my mother for the first time. They have 45 minutes together, agree to get married, can't communicate, have this incredible wedding. But before the wedding, my father had no money. This is the last point of the story. My father has no, at least compared to Japanese standards from Africa, he doesn't have enough money. You can't go as a foreigner, as an African man in the 70s without, and, and get married without throwing a, a, a wedding reception and a wedding to, to honor the bride and, and honor the parents and my mother's parents. So my father doesn't have that kind of money because everything is in service to humanity and his mission. God says to him, no, don't worry, just chill, relax. My father goes on a lecture tour for six weeks. He's not getting paid. It's just charity, so to speak. It's service work. Six weeks later, he's done with his tour. The wedding date approaches. He goes to his mailbox. He opens an envelope. There is $7,000. This is in the 70s, Pat, $7,000 in cash, cash. All it's anonymous. All it says is this is for your wedding. That's it. They get married. They go. They leave. They can't speak to each other on the plane. They can't speak on their honeymoon. And they spend, <laughs> they spend 40 years together. And that's kind of a bit about uh, my parents and the level of surrender that they, they trusted. You know, they trusted life. They trusted their souls. They trusted their guidance. And their relationship uh, wasn't easy. It was challenging. It was difficult. Two completely different cultures coming together. But their relationship was based on a deep understanding that they were each other's divine destiny. But did they ever find out, Coot, who sent the money? Uh, Great question. Yes, they did. They found out years, I'm talking years later, I actually met the wife of the person. So it was a Japanese supermarket mogul, okay? Japanese supermarket mogul, a company called Yawahan. And what they found out was one day he was, my father didn't tell anyone he didn't have any money. Uh, he was just following his guidance, marry this woman, marry this woman. That was his guidance. And so <clears throat> there he is. The Japanese mogul is reading, this is in the 70s, he's reading the newspapers. My parents' marriage, black man from Africa, Japanese woman, can't speak, was all over the newspapers. The miracle marriage, they, they were calling it. The, the supermarket mogul was reading this in the newspapers and he said, one day something touched his heart. Something touched his heart. And he said, I know, I just want to make a donation to them. No idea that my father needed the money. And that's it. And so when I was 10 years old, <clears throat> my mother took me to meet the wife because the, the, the man had passed away, but took me to meet the wife. And she was telling me the story of, of what happened with her husband and what they both felt. And they just felt, they just felt inspired. I think when you... When we as human beings, when we follow our soul, our guidance, our deepest truth, what we are guided to do in a pure way, beyond the mind, beyond our fear, beyond our conditioning, beyond what we think, but the guidance and we follow that deepest truth and impulse, that's when I believe life, the universe, nature rises to support us. I've seen it in my life and that's what happened for my parents. And how long were they married? <clears throat> they were married for 40 years. Oh. Uh, maybe, maybe even a bit more. 40 years they were married. And uh, the whole book, The Magic of Surrender, was kind of inspired by my mother's passing, you know. And, and that's th- th- her death is what ended their marriage. My mother was diagnosed probably shortly after I was on your show 
maybe three, four years ago, I think it was, originally. And what a pleasure that was. I was writing high, you know, I was doing these interviews. My book was out and people were loving it. It was a bestseller. I get a phone call from my father. I typically don't get a phone call from my father. And he says, I need to speak to you. Your mother is dying of cancer, diagnosed with cancer. I was, I was not surrendered, Pat. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. I was determined that I would fix my mother. I would heal my mother. I would bring her to life. I would keep her alive. I was flying back to, I was in Los Angeles at the time. I was flying back to uh, London literally once a month to be with her for uh, four or five days to be with her in chemo, to, to sort of work on her mind, to, to, take, to bring her all sorts of um, supplements and, 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 and healthy foods and green juice because I was determined to keep her alive. And during that year, I got to be with her for a full year to see her during that process. During that year, I soon realized that no matter what I do, no matter what I try, my mother is dying. She's not going to live. And that so humbled me because it was very clear with all the best intention that I was not in control, that she was dying. And when I went through my own resistance and negotiation with life, when I finally accepted and surrendered and I opened my heart to the reality, because I was no longer resisting, it it opened up the space to truly just grieve and seize the preciousness of the time I had left, because I'd accepted that she was dying, I realized that every text message, every conversation, every time I touched her or held her hand or saw her, this could be the last time I have with her. And I really savored every single moment because I was in surrender of what was happening. And it was beautiful. And there came a moment when the doctors told us There's nothing else we can do now. It's days, it's weeks, maybe months, but definitely not years. And I looked at my mother and I said, Mom, two things I said. I said, Mom, are you afraid? She turned to me and she said, I'm not afraid, son. I know I'm not this body, that I'm a soul. And the soul is eternal. This body will die. This body is just a vehicle for my soul. I will be watching you and guiding you from the other side. Then then I looked to her and I said, And this is where I think the seed of the book was planted. I didn't realize it in that moment. But then I looked at her and I said, Mom, um, is there anything I can do for you? Can I take you somewhere, buy you something? What do you need? I want to make your last days comfortable. She looked at me, you know, so humbly. No cameras, no people around, just me and her. And she said, there's nothing I need. She said, what do you want? She said, all I want is what God wants for my life. In that moment, I realized that her secret, her key to freedom, because this whole year she was at peace. This whole year she was calm. This whole year she was surrendered. The key was she had surrendered to the highest unfolding of life. She wasn't attached to living. She wasn't attached to dying. She was totally open. And in that surrender, she was free. And I, and I really realized that my mother's great to see. I thought my father was the great one, but I realized that she was great. And her greatness was in her surrender to life, in her surrender to 
to trusting her soul, in her surrender to what she was guided to do at all times. And that was her greatness. And then I started reflecting on the great ones, you know, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Mother Teresa, and the list goes on, Mandela, Martin Luther King. They all came to a point in their lives where something bigger than them was seeking to happen. And they could resist or they could open and surrender and let life take them. Let life live them. <clears throat> My mother did this, or the great ones do it. And that's what I'm really excited about, inspiring every single one of us that's on this planet, everyone that's listening. What happens if we surrender and allow life to live us, allow life to express through us? That's the magic. What life can do through us, what God can do through us, what the infinite intelligence can do through us, whatever label you want to, to call it, what life can do through us is, is, is way bigger, I think, than what we, from our limited personal personalities, can do of our own. If when this, we surrender, we open. Go ahead, Ben. No, I was just saying, if this voice is familiar to you, uh, it's because of the fact that you may have read... Uh, a previous book, You Are the One by Coot Blackson. We're talking about his newest book, The Magic of Surrender, but you also may be familiar with Soul Talk, his podcast. And, uh, you know, I was sitting here thinking the number of things that you learned from your parents uh, with the diversity that existed just in your family and the number of things that we learned listening to you talk about your parents and the number of things that I learned reading about your parents. The only thing that I didn't learn through the book mm -hmm. is the simple answer to this simple question that I wondered throughout. And that is, did they compromise finally after 40 years on one language? Ha <laughs> uh, ha. My... My mother, for the longest time, couldn't speak English, you know. So just imagine they're communicating through dictionaries. And, <laughs> I mean, it was, a, it was, honestly, Pat, it was a disaster. We would, <laughs> we would, uh, <laughs> we would, as a kid, I mean, my mother would speak English. I had no idea what she was saying. I spoke to my mother in Japanese, and that was easy. I spoke to my father in English, and they would try to communicate. I, I just, you know, I, I, who knew what they were saying, but they, they understood each other. Eventually, my mother's English progressed and improved. Even when I was age 10, we would laugh, laughingly, you know, tease my mother about her terrible English. By the time I left the UK, you know, we grew up in London, and I spent most of my time from 3 to 18 in London. By the time I left the UK, my mother's English was really proficient. And by the time she passed away, her English was right on point. She was always a little shy. But her English was right on point, and she had a very fluent grasp of English. And yes, they, they began, they were able, you know, to, to communicate maybe, maybe after eight years, a decade. <laughs> a, <laughs> bit, I, a bit more fluently, <laughs> a bit more fluently with each other. And that was, that was nice to see. Well, I thank you, though, Coot, for answering that question that uh, stayed with me while I was reading the book. The book, by the way, The Magic of Surrender, in the 60s, and yes, I do date back to the 60s and perhaps a few years before. <laughs> One of my favorite recording groups was The Love and Spoonful. And one of their biggest hits was Do You Believe in Magic? 
I know that you mm. do define mm. the kind of magic that you believe in and that you present to us in the book as an important part of our lives. Yeah, magic, you know. I think it's what we all want, what we all want to experience, what we all want to feel, uh, what we would all love to experience. By magic, I'm not really talking about, let's say, uh, hocus-pocus magic. By magic, I'm not talking about something crazy in that sense. Really, by magic, I think everyone can have their own definition of magic. Magic takes us from the ordinary to the extraordinary. Magic transforms the seemingly mundane into the miraculous. I believe that the magic is always available. We're just not always available to wit. You know, we, we sometimes forget. We sometimes get distracted. But I think magic, true magic, can only happen when we, when we surrender and when we get ourselves out, out of the way. And so I would ask everyone to think about what, what is magic for you? What, so when I say magic... I mean more joy, more abundance, more beauty, more love. Whatever is beyond our current level of imagination, beyond our sort of logical two plus two equals four thinking, that thing that you think, like, I would really love that, but is it possible? I really want that relationship, but is that kind of love possible? To me, that's the magic that I'm inviting people to. You know, and I think when we, when we surrender, when we let go, See, all of us, we want the magic. We want magic. Deep down, I think we, we would love some magic in our lives. But we hold on. And that's why I say, if you want more magic, you have to surrender. There's no way around it. That's the equation. And that's the invitation. You know, the willingness to, to let go. The courage to let go of what's not working. Holding on to what's not working simply keeps us stuck. Holding on to what's not working blocks our blessing. Holding on to what's not working is our affirmation of our lack of trust in the universe, and we end up manifesting more of that. We are often the ones that are blocking our blessings, not life. Sometimes I find that life, the universe, wants to give us more. But we're the ones holding on to the old. Sometimes the universe is like, look, I have this entire buffet for you. No, but we're holding on to the peanuts. Hmm. Maybe the universe is trying to actually bring us, you know, bring you your soulmate. But like, no, 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 no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to this toxic relationship or this, this mediocre kind of connection. Uh, but the universe is trying to say, but I have the love of your life. No, 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 let me hold on to this because it's comfortable. You know, we sometimes say, I heard this phrase, Pat, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and so we... We get comfortable in that pattern of what we know and what we identify with. And so uh, we have to be willing to embrace the unknown. And the more the degree to which we can embrace the unknown, I would say is the degree to which we're free. And so often we think we know what things are. To truly surrender, one thing we need to be willing to give up, which is also not always easy, but when we were aware, it makes it easier, is the need to constantly know everything. One of the ways we control, and control is also another addiction, perhaps the master addiction, is we try to understand and know everything. What does this mean? We feel guidance and intuition to do something. What does it mean? So 
someone shows up in our in our life, potential partner, where's this going? What's going to happen? What is what does it mean? What's going to happen? And so we're constantly trying to understand and know. But the challenge is, sometimes knowing what something is can be a limitation. Because many times our knowing is based on our ego. Our knowing is based and our ability to interpret and make meaning about what we think something means is often based on our current perceptual filter, which is conditioned based on our conditioning from our past childhood programming, generational patterns, culture, etc. that is determining our ability to interpret what we think we know and what we think something is. And so I would just invite everyone to just Question oneself and say, uh, with the question, don't think that what you know is reality. Don't think that what you feel or think about something is reality. Reality is something bigger. We are only able to see, interpret reality based on the level of our conditioning, the, le the, the state of our nervous system, and the level of our consciousness in the particular moment. The mind, our personalities, don't see, we don't see the entire picture of life, this art piece that is life. We only see, it's like going to a painting in a museum and we're only looking at the corner of the entire painting, thinking we understand the whole painting. And we don't see how that color and that person connects to that green and that black, connects to the white and the red, and boom, all of a sudden when we step back and we're, when we're able to see the entire, entire artwork and tapestry then it's only then that we understand oh i'm looking at a sky with a boat with clouds but we were thinking oh that's just a blue dot but that blue dot was the tip of the sky in the beginning of the sky and so uh don't be so sure that what you think is isn't but is because that the way we avoid <laughs> is that the way we avoid could uh, becoming a prisoner of ego. Yes, we become a prisoner of ego when we when we make an interpretation, which is often limited, and we hold on to. Now I know what something is. Now we're a prisoner of ego. Ego is simply the the way we have learned to identify ourselves, our beliefs, our thoughts, our emotions, our memories that we hold on to from the past that we hold tightly onto and the degree to which we hold onto them is the degree to which we're in our ego. And based on that ego structure that we hold onto and we identify as me is what we tend to use to, to, to process reality and know something. And so our knowing is limited to our ego and our ego is not really who we are. It's just who we've been conditioned to be that we identify ourselves as. So, we are not our ego, we are something more. And when we realize that, then we can start freeing ourselves. But when we hold on so tightly to, oh, now I know, I know what this is, I know what this is going to be, I know what's going to happen. We are now a prisoner to ego. We are now limiting life because we're attached to an outcome. We're attached to a reality. We're attached to a viewpoint. And we're not open. The openness is to say, okay, okay, Pat, this is what I know in this moment. Based on my intuition, my feeling about a situation, this person, this is what I know, and I'm going to act on this knowing. Maybe you've done some research. Maybe you've checked them out. Maybe you know, had a background check. Maybe, But this is what I know in this moment, the best of my ability. See, many times we don't want the truth. Many times we just want what we want. 
So I tell people to unhook yourself from being a prisoner. You have to want the truth about something, about a situation, about a reality. You have to want the truth more than you want what you want. Because sometimes we just want what we want. And so when we're able to see something as it is and have a sense of, okay, this is what I know, then we, we, then we can take action on that the best we can, giving 100%. Meanwhile, staying open. Staying open. Because there's so many times in my life that, that I thought I knew what something was, and it wasn't. I thought I met the woman of my dreams. I remember when I was 21, I thought I met the woman of my dreams, but I thought I was going to get married. I thought we were going to have babies. I, thought, I was so sure this is, she was the one. You could not have told me otherwise. Pat, if you said that's not the one, too, I would have said, Pat, you're nuts. You're crazy. So just because we think something is doesn't mean it is. Sometimes the goal that we think is not really the goal. Sometimes the goal that we think is just a necessary puzzle piece to serve our soul's evolution, that we did need to go in that direction. We didn't need to move. We didn't need to have that experience. We didn't need to have that lesson, but not because of the goal or why we thought, but so that we could go on that journey of life to learn, to grow, to evolve, to meet people that we needed to meet so that we could become more of who we needed to become so that then life pivots us and takes us in a different direction. When we're not open, we're trying to fit life into our little box based on our little conditioned ego, and then we end up limiting life. Coot, life ends up limited. Coot, my truth is that I've been in broadcasting for 117 years, uh, and Marconi was my first boss. But in all that time, I have never had occasion to ask a guest this question. What did you learn from Lady Gaga? Mm. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, th- I would say <laughs> Lady Gaga, you know, is an inspiration to many. But one of the things I learned in Nutshell when I saw some of the interviews, you know, I went to see her concerts many years ago. And she's running up on stage. She's running around. She's running around. She's running around. And you would never imagine that. She suffers from excruciating pain, excruciating physical pain. And when I was reading an interview and watching a documentary of hers, what I learned was how she dealt with that pain. Was it, yes, she took some medication and she saw the doctors, all of that stuff, of course, on a physiological level, took care of the body mechanism, organism. But what I really learned that was her secret that made the difference was surrender. She learned from her doctor's recommendation to stop resisting the pain. And it was when she stopped resisting the pain and energetically moved into total acceptance of the, of the pain, complete acceptance, no judgment, embraced it fully, is when she had a different relationship with it. And that's when something shifted around the pain for her. And so that's, that was... Such a beautiful learning, you know, and I remember seeing uh, an interview with her on Oprah and her prayer has become really what I'm talking about. She said, she said to Oprah, I just tell God now, tell me what to do, God. 
I will follow. And I thought that was so profound. What do you want? See, as human beings, we get so caught up, even, you know, a lot of self-help books, and I've read, I think, 800 of them, um, before, from 8 to 18, I was obsessed Pat, with self-help and goal-setting and goal-setting and manifestation and make it happen. It's all great. Nothing wrong with it. But I, I'm just saying, I'm inviting a new paradigm, a paradigm of the future. What does that mean? Beyond personal power to soul power. And so we tend to ask the question, what do I want? This is where Lady Gaga was, you know, the zone of what I'm talking about. We tend to ask the question, what do I want? And many times we set goals based on what we want. The challenge is what we think we want is sometimes only what we think we want based on who we think we are. But if we're not in touch with who we really are, then often the goals that we set aren't going to be our authentic goals. Sometimes the goals that we set are going to be reactions from the past, trying to prove ourselves to our dad or mom or someone from childhood, or we have a wound of feeling not enough. So we think if we can be famous and make money and get the gold and get the car, then we'll finally be enough. So what we think we want is not what we really want. It's just what we think we want. And then when we get what we want, or what we thought we wanted based on that intention, we're left empty-handed, mm. only to say, is this it? Is this all? I got the Lamborghini. I got the big house. I got the thing. I got the thing that I thought I wanted, and I'm miserable. That, that is one of the most uh, dangerous moments, because now you get the thing that you thought you wanted your whole life, and it feels empty. That. So the real question that Lady Gaga, I saw Lady Gaga ask, which I've been asking for many years now, is not what do I want, is what is it that life wants to express through me? It's a bigger question. It's a bigger life I'm inviting people to, to surrender to. What is it that life wants to express from me? What is it that God wants to express from me? How is it that God wants to manifest from me? How is it that the universe wants to love through me, create through me? Because then you start realizing that your life is not just your life. It's bigger than you. Your dreams, your goals, your visions, your ideas. This is the way that life is seeking to express through you. And your dream is just not your dream. Your dream chose you. Your dream chose you because you, everyone, everyone, me, you, everyone listening, because you are the perfect person based on your past, based on your history, based on your pain, based on your divorces, based on your parents, based on your trauma. You are the perfect person to fulfill that dream and vision. Your dreams, and if you understand that your dream chose you, then the dream doesn't belong to you. It belongs to life. And if it belongs to life, your job isn't just to make it happen. Your job is to say yes. Get yourself out, out of the way to show up fully. Don't question. If the dream belongs to life, then encoded in the dream is also the seed for its fulfillment. Then life knows how to fulfill itself through you. And when we understand that, then you start seeing that it's not just your life. It's not just your dream. It's life's dream being made manifest through you. And life starts to express through you. And as I said earlier, what life can do through you is bigger than what you can do on your own. What life did through Nelson Mandela is bigger than what he could have planned for himself. 
What life did through Martin Luther King is more than what he could have done of himself. What life did through Mother Teresa is bigger than what she could have done of herself. What life is doing through Greta Thunberg, the climate activist, is bigger than she could have even imagined and planned. What life is doing through Malaya, Malaya, the, the girl from Pakistan that won the Nobel Peace Prize that was shot on the, by the Taliban, she couldn't have planned that. That's life. And she surrendered to that. So life is seeking to live us if we're willing to listen and get ourselves out of the way and ask. So ask yourself, everyone, what is life seeking to do through me? Listen. Then we expand ourselves. Then we take the limits off of life and we're fully open to being lived. I'm inviting us all. What would happen if we surrender to life? This life that has been around for billions of years. We've been around 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, okay, 80, maybe someone listening is 90, maybe someone listening is 150 years old. Great, welcome, glad you're still alive. But the bottom line, life has been around 13, 14 billion years. Let's surrender to that intelligence. This is where Jesus went. You know, Jesus, and it's not a religious thing, but Jesus, I grew up in the church, so, you know, there's lots of stories. Miracle worker. Talk about magic, miracle workers, the blind seeing, feeding the 5,000. But never one time, Pat, did I hear Jesus in any text, in any scripture say, hey, everyone, look how great I am. I'm Jesus. Yo, people, everybody, I'm Jesus. Look, look at me. I do these miracles. I manifest these miracles. I'm amazing. Never once did I hear Jesus say that. The only thing I heard Jesus say, two things. The things I do. You can do these things and more to everyone. That goes for everyone. The things I do, you can do these things and more. Second thing, it's not I. I, 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 limited I, Coop, Pat, Susie, John, Tony. It's not I that does the work, but the Father in me that does the work through me. That's surrender. The Father being life, the universe, consciousness, infinite intelligence. Jesus knew. And that's why, because he wasn't in the way, that's why life was able to use him more than he could have ever imagined. And that's why I think miracles were able to happen, because he, his ego wasn't in the way trying to control or run the show. But the miracles that are associated with the life of Jesus include things like uh, the wedding at Cana and the, the, the water into wine and uh, the loaves and fishes, yet you were witness to a miracle involving tomato juice. Tell everybody about oh, yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> You're talking about my father, right? Yeah, my father was the, uh, let's say, the spiritual teacher to uh, the king of Ghana, the king of Ashanti, Ghana, very re respected king in Ghana. And... Uh, before they got really close, one day I asked my, my father, when I was growing up, the king, he's called Otumfo Asantehini, and my father was so close. Like the guy in London, you know, the king came to, to our small, tiny little house in a not-so-great area with his entourage to bestow that respect to my father. So one day I asked my father, how did you and the king get that close? It's very unusual. He said, what happened was way, way back, when I first started my church in London, I heard the king had a stroke in Ghana. They flew him to London, where he had a home. 
They heard I was there. They asked me to come and pray for the king. And I came and I prayed for the king in the hospital. But he, my father said, I got a guidance that uh, the, to, ha to have his wife take the king to their home for seven days out, away from the hospital. The wife agreed. They took the king, the king to the house. Now, when you have a stroke, half his body was paralyzed. This is a very big deal because for a king, if you can't function and, and, and rule over your kingdom, then, hey, people always want your position. So it was, it was quite serious. And so they, were, they took him to his house, and the king was lying there, unable to move one side of his body, totally paralyzed. And my father was praying for him, meditating with him at his bedside. My father got a vision. All he saw was tomato juice. He asked the wife, do you have tomato juice? She said, yes. She went to get it. She brought the tomato juice. My father blessed it, prayed for it, whatever he did. He said to the king, drink this. The king drank, true story, the king drank the juice. Literally, my, my father said he heard all sorts of cracks in the king's body and spine, crack, 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 like an adjustment. King stood up, jumped up, started running around the room, screaming, couldn't even believe that he was healed. The wife came, the family came, everyone went crazy. Then I asked my father, and that's how they became very close, right? And I asked my father, Pat, um, did you know that was going to happen? My father said, no. Did you have an idea that you pray on the juice and this would heal the king and had you done this before? No. How did you know it was going to My father said, I didn't. So how do you do the healing, Dad? How, Dad, how do you heal people? My father looks at me and he said, Son, I don't do the healing. God does. Life does. The infinite intelligence does. And that was the understanding from my father. He was a great man, but he understood. I don't do the healing. Life does the healing through me. See, Pat, you know, we're talking about miracles, and some people might be thinking, whoa, that's so far out. Uh, that's not my reality. I'm just trying to live, and I'm just, you know, live a mediocre life. No one is mediocre. If you cut your finger right now, you could be a plumber, you could be a stockbroker, you could be a teacher, you could be a mother, you could just be living in suburbia somewhere in the middle of America. Don't think that the story I'm sharing is special. You're special. Every single human being is special. If you're listening to this, you're special. Look, you are a miracle. If you cut your finger right now, there is an intelligence inside of you that knows exactly what to do to heal your finger without you praying, without you meditating, without you even being a good person. If Pablo Escobar or El Chapo cuts their finger, they're, they're, the intelligence inside of them knows exactly how to heal. There's an intelligence inside of us right now. People are always saying, oh, miracles, miracles, miracles. But I say, look, you are a miracle right now. How is it that if you ate a piece of fish or, 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 or a banana, that your hand doesn't turn into a fish or a banana? There's an intelligence inside of you that knows what to do. That would be scary, wouldn't it, Pat? Your ears turn into uh, two apples. You eat an apple. There's an intelligence that knows what to do right now as we're having this conversation and everyone's listening in. We've been breathing the last few minutes. We're not sitting here going, please, God, I hope I can breathe, 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 breathe. We're not trying to control or force our breath. It's just happening. Has there ever been a day? You talked about the sunsets before we started, Pat. Has there ever been a day 
and this is for everyone to consider, when you woke up in the morning, 10 a.m., and it was pitch black, and we say, well, what happened? Oh, sorry, uh, Pat, today the, 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 the sun just forgot to come out. It just was a little <laughs> tired today. It just, it, it never happens. Every day, if we look at nature, we look at nature. The sun rises and the moon rises. There was a full moon yesterday, and the cycles of the seasons and the snow this intelligence right now, even in your body, everyone, as you listen to us on the Godship, in your body, there are trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions and trillions of cells processing right now. Something is breathing you. Something is functioning you. Something is happening. There's a miracle inside of your body. Every moment of life is living proof that we can trust it. Look, look at life, the sun, the stars, the moon, the same intelligence that's functioning you is functioning life. It's functioning on all existence. It's functioning 8 billion people. It's functioning not just 8 billion people, but the cats and the dogs and the goldfish and the salmon and the trout and the, you know, the list goes on. And then the giraffes and the, the rhinos, just all and the bacteria and everything. Can we not trust that? So I say, let's surrender to that. We, you, me, we are a part of nature. But we've forgotten that we too are a part of this glorious thing called life and nature. We have exactly two minutes. And I mm -hmm. want to remind everybody that we're talking about the magic of surrender. That's the title of the mm -hmm. book. It's filled with magic and miracles. But I'm wondering in these closing moments, Coot, yes. was there, you talk about voices and listening to the voice of the universe and listening to the voices within you. Was there a voice that told you to write this book? Yeah, as I said, it came through, you know, I had all these ideas what the book should be. Uh, but one day it just came through and landed like, it's about surrender. And that's when I knew that I knew it was what it was about, you know, and uh, I knew I could not do it. But I also knew that not do it is not is to not write it is not is to not follow the flow. That's like being in the ocean and the wave is going one way. And I, and I say to the, to the ocean, no, 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 I'm going to go this way. Sure, we can swim against the wave. We might get somewhere. But when you work with the wave and you work with nature, then you're in the flow. That's when magic happens. And, you know, life is short. Life is so short. We never know when the moment's going to come. You and I, we're all going to die. We can surrender now. We can surrender tomorrow. We can surrender next lifetime. At death, we will all have to surrender. None of us know when the moment is coming. I hope we all live a long life, but the truth is, if death came right now, would you be ready? And how would you need to live? Like the people in 9-11 had no idea that they weren't gonna come home that night and look their loved ones in the eyes. And so I just want everyone to know in the last few minutes, if there's someone you need to love, call them up and let them know. My oh, only regret, Pat, in my, in my life was I didn't spend enough time with my mother. And so if there's someone you need to love, someone you need to forgive, do it now. How would you need to live so that you have no regrets? With that thought, though, let us remind you, you've been listening to Coot Blackson, who's available on his own podcast, Soul Talk, the book You Are the One. And you might want to tell everybody he's been kind of a guru to you, perhaps, on The God Show. <laughs>